Hello, this episode we're joined by Tom Navon, who knows a thing or two about political theory, Jewish history and Marxism. Quite a heady combination. Thanks for joining me, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. How are you doing? A bit sick. I'll be fine. We'll manage. We'll push on through. We're going to dive straight in. You've written about the Marxist interpretation of Jewish history. What is that? And what does that mean? Actually, I'm still writing the final conclusions in a few months from now, but I can still uh, share with you what I found in the last several years uh, delving into this uh, topic. I'm interested in Jewish history, and when we try to study it, we have the common histories, common written histories, several uh, main currents in what's called Jewish historiography. Historiography, it means the writing of history, how people write history. So we have classical uh, German uh, Jewish historiography of the 19th century, what's called the what was called the Jewish science, or Wissenschaft des Judentum, very much oriented to German Jewry, very much oriented to enlightenment, very much anti-religious. And then we have also the national historiography, which is practically saying that Jewish people is an eternal people, and it, it was always the Jewish people, and uh, it has a unique history. So when we tried, we socialists down is trying to study Jewish history, then we don't feel uh, convenient with the existing historiographies, existing Jewish historiographies. And I was asking myself, what did Marxists had to say about Jewish history? Because it's quite a known fact that at least in the first half of the 20th century, there were vast Jewish socialist movements. And there were also many Jews in uh, general socialist movements. Many of them were Marxists. And it's quite a known fact that Marxists are interested in history, generally, because everyone who is interested in changing human society, then history is the science exploring how human societies were changed. So it's quite an important topic for a social activist. And I was looking, what did Marxist Jews uh, or Jewish Marxists had to say about Jewish history? And it, in the beginning, it was quite hard to find. And then I understood that actually there were some Jewish Marxist intellectuals trying to interpret Jewish history through Marxist methodology, but they mostly wrote it in Yiddish because many of the Jewish uh, working class were uh, Yiddish-speaking, so they wrote for them. But for us now, it's not available. So what I did, I studied Yiddish, and I started uh, reading those uh, history books and articles that the Marxist Jewish intellectuals wrote about uh, Jewish history. I discovered several surprising facts. 
First of all, why it's surprising, I was expecting to find a sharp contradiction between Marxist interpretation of Jewish history and national interpretation that we know what we study in schools in Israel. What I understood that it's not so simple. I expected that Marxists will say there is no uh, Jewish people, it's only a uh, class, it's only economic uh, relations, it's not a nation, because that's what we know of the Marxist-Soviet ideology as it was de- uh, developing uh, during the years of the Soviet Union. Surprisingly, I found that the first to create a Marxist interpretation of Jewish history were actually Zionists. People, uh, the more known of them is uh, Berborchov. He actually didn't deal so much with history, more with analyzing the socioeconomic structure of Jewish society in his, in his time. In order to do that, he had to deal a little bit with history. But he had less known contemporary colleagues that started to ask questions also about Jewish history. Because if you are trying to analyze the present time, you have to ask yourself how did it came to be? And this is history. For the first two or three decades of the 20th century, it was almost exclusively Marxist and Zionist that dealt with that uh, field. And uh, only later, other Marxists joined them and started arguing, of course. It raises two questions. Why didn't other Marxists deal with Jewish history before? And why did they start dealing with it in the 20s or 30s of the the 20th century? And the, the short question is, because we are talking a little bit too much on only on your first question. The short answer is that they were frightened of Jewish history. Because if you are talking about Jewish history, then you are defining the Jews as a distinct group. And they didn't want to separate the Jews. They wanted to assimilate them. So it was a problem for them. They did it when, when, they, when they didn't have a choice. The first episode of communist Jewish historiography was in the 20s in the Soviet Union, where there was a very big Jewish population that they were very much embedded in Jewish culture, in Yiddish culture, and many of them were, before the revolution, involved in in Jewish working class movements, such as the Bund, such as the Polizion and others, and they could not so easily and so quickly absorbed into the general supranational society that they were trying to create in the Soviet Union. So in the first decade, they gave place to Jewish culture, to Yiddish culture, to Yiddish, to science, to social sciences in Yiddish, and they were also writing Jewish history, trying to adapted to the Soviet ideology. But in the 30s, when Stalin came to power, he stopped uh, everything which is not Russian. At first, Soviet nationalism, but then after that, it was clear that it it is more Russian nationalism. 
then in the 30s outside the Soviet Union where the Jewish what's called the Jewish Christian became uh, very problematic in the 30s Nazi, Nazis came to power in Germany escalating anti-semitism in Poland the Arab riots in uh, Palestine there was a very agitated debate over the Jewish question and like other Jews ideological political debates they were also trying to use history each side for his own uh, purposes so at that time many uh, Jews in uh, communist movements in Germany in France Belgium in the USA they were engaging in Jewish historiography in order to to argue against especially against Zionism but the interesting thing is That while they were trying to argue against Zionism against Jewish nationalism at a whole, they were actually adopting the national framework because they were talking about the history of the Jewish people as a distinct group, and they were also trying to mobilize the Jewish masses and in time of Nazism antisemitism, the Jewish masses were tending towards Jewish solidarity. So also the Marxist communists, they had to adapt, or at least they had to adapt a, a national uh, Jewish thought or at least semi-national uh, Jewish thought. Okay, I want to try and take a step back and I want to try and understand when you're talking about an interpretation of Jewish history or an analysis of Jewish history and the different ways that that can be approached, The example you gave was sort of a Marxist interpretation, which is basically saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, the Jews aren't a distinct people. Let's not talk about the Jews separately. What differentiates different people within, with regards to history of the different classes in society? And so a Marxist interpretation, you can't really say it's a Marxist interpretation of Jewish history because it's... talking about history generally and classes, if I understand what you're saying, and a nationalist or a Zionist interpretation of Jewish history, basically what you're talking about is looking at Jewish history, looking at the Jewish people, looking at what they've experienced, and looking at it through the prism of there's a people that are dispersed all over the world, and they have, there are trends, And there are things that are connected, and that would be a national recognizing the Jewish people as a distinct group, and that will be a national interpretation. There are other interpretations of the Jewish people that aren't that and aren't that. Yes, actually, the, what I call the Marxist Jewish historiography is combining a national concept of Jewish history and a class concept. Classical, more a dogmatic Marxist thought of thinkers like Lenin, Stalin, Trotsky, Karl Kautsky, they're saying that there's no Jewish people. They were only traders, they were only an economic sector in, uh, uh, in uh, pre-modern societies. But when Jewish thinkers are getting into this field, they are active in Jewish working class movements, they also add a national... ID into their historiography. Now I'm uh, making a generalization because there are 
several Marxist Jewish interpretations. They are debating among themselves. Most of them agree that there is no sharp contradiction between the concept of nation or a people and the concept of class, especially in pre-modern societies. For example, Abraham Leon was a Jewish uh, Trotskyist uh, active in uh, Belgium in the 30s and the early 40s. He said the Jews were a people class. And he said there's no contradiction between people and class because pre-modern societies, different ethnic groups were fulfilling uh, specific economic functions. So the Jews were an ethnic group fulfilling the economic function of traders, mediators, moneylenders, etc. Within societies that the vast majority of the population were peasants. What was there the Marxist nationalist interpretation of Jewish history? What was their critique of other interpretations? For example, they were criticizing the classical Jewish historiography of the 19th century in Germany that it was historiography of ideas. They were writing what did Jewish thinkers thinking about Ju- Judaism. And the Marxists say that you have to write a history of what the Jews did, not only what the Jews think. How did they provide themselves? And also, another aspect of this criticism is that the history of ideas is the history of thinkers. It's the history of the elite. And what about the history of the working people? They uh, quoted Marx a lot uh, that was talking, we already have a history of the, of the Shabbat Jew. We need a history of the everyday Jew. What did simple Jews that didn't write, how did they live? It was... And, In this criticism, there, there is also an element of class because the history of the elite is the history of the rich people that could afford thinking, writing, publishing. And uh, we are looking for history of the working uh, Jews that didn't have these opportunities. Mm-hmm. So they came along to, to basically fill in a gap of a whole field that really didn't exist up until then was this... interpretation, Marx's interpretation, this uh, opportunity to talk about the masses, the Jewish worker, and what they did, and how that developed over time. Can you give me some more examples of what that looked like, and what that added, I guess, to the picture of the Jewish people? I think uh, one uh, interesting example is the example of uh, Moshe Katz, who was a Jewish communist uh, active in New York. He was, uh, his main criticism was towards the national interpretation of Jewish history, the non-Marxist national, what they call the national uh, bourgeoisie. And he said they have this assumption that the eternity of Israel, that uh, Jews were always Jews, Jews were always uh, a nation, all Jews are descendants of uh, Abraham, etc. And he's asking, well, let's see what, what happened to the Jews in antiquity. Where did they come from? Because there is this interesting 
and for him still very much relevant phenomenon of Jewish diaspora. How did they come to be? The national narrative says that in exile, they were exiled from uh, Judea by the Babylonians and later by the Romans. And he's asking, how did they come to be that there were so many Jews in diaspora? Did they all exile from the small kingdom of Judea? And he's starting to explore it. And then he sees that there was a very vast movement of proselytization in antiquity. Many people became Jews. The national narrative is saying that we, Jews were always hated. So why many people, Syrians, Greek, Romans, etc., became Jews? He's asking this question, why? And he's telling in antiquity, being a Jew is being a part of a social strata, of the most progressive social strata of urban population in trade, but not only in trade, also uh, artisans and intellectuals. And becoming a Jew in uh, the ancient world means joining this global network of progressive people who are not all descendants of Abraham. He's a Jewish communist in New York, so it's It suits his concept of Jewish people. He wants he does define them as a nation, but not as a, not as a race, not a nation in the ethnical strict concept of descendant of the same ancient family or ancient ancestors, but a very multicultural, multinational, diverse. nation uh, and a very progressive one of people who were not only traders they were also productive people like artisans it's for him it's a good concept combining national concept and class concept and progressive multicultural American concept of American Jewish society and especially the working class society That was a, a very important segment of the society in the in the thirties when when he was writing. Can I ask you like up till today, currently Marxist uh, interpretations or people of that are looking at recent history, say the last hundred years, contemporary writers that are looking at the Jewish people through this prism, is that something that That people have written about up until today, looking at the last hundred years of history as opposed to the last 2,000 years. Since the end of World War II, Marxism became much less popular within the Jewish people, because uh, most of the working-class Jewish members of Marxist movements, many of them were murdered. By the Nazis. Uh, another part was uh, oppressed as Jews in the Soviet Union. It's an important part. And 
in the USA, the, the other uh, main center of uh, Jewish people in the diaspora, American Jews went through a very fast process of becoming from working class to uh, bourgeoisie. So they were also not interested in Marxism anymore. And in Israel, well, there was still a working class domination until the 70s. It was a non-Marxist and even anti-Marxist uh, movement of Mapai that was uh, dominant. Jewish Marxism became much less popular and uh, respectively also Jewish Marxist historiography. There were some scholars continuing this tradition uh, in Israel, but uh, they were uh, underdogs. And today it's also not popular. Marxism is not popular, but actually another aspect is that after the Holocaust, it was uh, not politically correct to define Jews in uh, economic definitions uh, in history because it had a, a anti-Semitic connotation. In the last, I think, two decades or so, there is what's called an economic turn in Jewish historiography. Contemporary scholars are coming back to economic history, not in a Marxist uh, sense. Some of them are uh, using class concepts combined with other uh, historical concepts. And the problem is that uh, many of them do not know the, this tradition of Marxist Jewish historiography written in Yiddish, mostly in Yiddish. Uh, so that's what I'm trying to do, to bring it back to the stage by exploring it, even uh, translating some of it. Why? Why? Why are you choosing to do that, to expose, I guess, a new generation isn't familiar with this content, why do you feel as though it's important and there's a place for it and it has relevance today? Well, my answer has two parts. The first part is uh, academic and the other one is more social. As a scholar, I think that Marxist Jewish historians, they had important contributions. Maybe sometimes they were not enough professional because they were not academic scholars. They were movement intellectuals writing also about history, so it's not so professional. Uh, sometimes it's very ideological. So it is problematic, but I, I do think that they were asking interesting questions and they were uh, raising interesting hypotheses. I think it could have a contribution to contemporary research of Jewish history. This is a, my answer as a scholar. As a member of a socialist movement, it was a, a missing layer for me in Jewish intellectual history. It was a missing part for us when we tried to study Jewish history. We were asking Marxist questions. We are asking materials questions about Jewish history and we couldn't find it in uh, mainstream Jewish historiography. So for me, revealing this uh, forgotten current in Jewish historiography, it is also uh, necessary or fruitful for uh, the education of younger generations. 
because if we are trying to analyze contemporary society in materialistic terms, then studying history in materialistic terms is a very important part of this intellectual uh, experience. Okay, uh, I want to come back to that. I want to come back to today and the relevance and how it connects to the world today and our understanding of the world today. But I want to ask you about the connection, the historical connection that we see time and again between Jews and socialism. And I'm wondering how come there's such a deep connection, there's such a rich relationship wherever you look around the world throughout the time we see we find Jews everywhere in those socialist movements the anarchist movements the marxist movements whichever stream uh, you look at there's a connection there and i'm wondering if you have an understanding of why that is well this is a huge question many scholars until today are breaking their heads on this question It's complicated because it also has the anti-Semitic connotation that Hitler uh, f- phrased the term of Judeo-Bolshevism. Asking of this question is, was problematic in, in the first one or two generations after the Holocaust. But today scholars are asking it again. What we know is that there is, there is a visible connection between Jews and Jews. socialism, Jews, and leftist movements, but never and nowhere in history the majority of Jews were socialists, nor the majority of socialists were Jews. So it's important to remember that. And still, it is true that Jews were usually overrepresented in socialist movement, especially in the first half of the 20th century. Before that, it wasn't true, and then also after that, it, it's not true. There are several explanations. There is common cultural explanations, saying basically that socialist ideas are embedded in Jewish tradition, in concept of uh, tzedakah, of arvut uh, adadit. Charity, mutual aid. I don't think this... explanation is enough and it's also problematic because the Jewish tradition is a whole civilization within it there are a contradiction concepts if we're talking about Marxist uh, Jewish history so we know that there were Jewish uh, lower classes and upper classes so they had different concept of Judaism and there is also the uh, people that are telling that uh, capitalism is embedded in Judaism you can just as easily say that Judaism is capitalist as you can say Judaism is socialist exactly so it's not a good explanation so uh, then we have the political explanation saying that Jews in those times were discriminated minority and as a discriminating minority they tended to look for political movements and that talking about equality and socialist movement were not the only movement talking about equality but they had an important role at the beginning it was more uh, liberal movements 
It was more what movements? Liberal. Liberal movements, yep. But uh, then more and more Jews tended to move towards socialist movements, and uh, so the political explanation is also not enough because it doesn't explain why Jews preferred, many Jews preferred socialist movements over liberal movements. So then we have the socioeconomic explanation, the quite quick process that very big Jewish population of Eastern Europe at the turn of the 20th century went through, the process of proletarization. This explanation uh, demands a much more complicated and long explanation for the question why Jews were proselytizing, because in pre-modern society they were essentially a bourgeois element. So why they became proletars? I, I will try to make it short. What happened in Eastern Europe is that the normal capitalist normal capitalization that we know from Western Europe did, did not go through in the same way because it was uh, hindered by very strong uh, conservative powers of uh, uh, feudal powers, monarchist powers, uh, the church. Uh, so the capitalization of Eastern Europe was not complete. So the Jews were stuck somewhere in the middle between pre-modern urban elements and modern uh, and the uh, partial industrial revolution. So they didn't have an opportunity to to be absorbed into a normal or Western Europe-like uh, capitalist society. Uh, so, and another difference from Western Europe, that in Eastern Europe there was a huge uh, Jewish population. Uh, they were five or six million Jews in the late uh, Russian Empire. So they could not all become Uh, assimilate into the bourgeoisie like in Germany for example so they were stuck in the middle and they were pushed okay, they were pushed into the lower layers of uh, proletariat the most primitive branches of, of industry uh, as the textile sweatshops this is the essence of the Eastern European Jewish problem is that they could not find sources of livelihood anymore in modern Eastern Europe. Fascinating. You're talking about the second half of the 19th century? Is that roughly where you're talking about? The last quarter of the 19th century and the first half of the 20th century. And so it's a very specific reality, very specific environment where they were caught in modernity and dealing with changes in society. And we know that that period there was lots of political upheaval and social upheaval and the Jewish people were caught up in that and looking for different ways of this society is delta's a bad hand how can we 
envision it differently? How can we imagine a better society, a more just society, in which we're able to thrive uh, or even at a bare minimum be accepted? And so that was an environment which these ideas snowballed and became more and more popular. Yeah, and because the political symptoms of this socioeconomic problem were very violent, I'm talking about the pogroms at first and eventually the Holocaust, then Jews were looking very intensively for political solutions. It wasn't just an intellectual exercise. When someone's about to kill you or attack you or destroy your business, your house, your property, you're looking for pretty drastic solutions. Yeah, so Zionism and communism and socialism and anarchism and immigration, etc., etc. They were in a turmoil. Mm-hmm. Great. Let's move on and let's actually go back to the question about the relevance today of Marxist thought. The world today is very, very different from the world that existed when Marx was writing. And I wanted to ask you what we can learn today in the world in which we live in, global world, from his writings. Well, it's very fashionable to say that Marx was wrong. But it's not a theoretical uh, determination, it's a political saying. What does it mean he was wrong? He did have some prognosis that didn't come to be, but most of his analytic thought was devoted to history and to socioeconomic analysis of capitalist society. So this is not a question of what will be in the future, but a question of how should we understand our capitalist society. And the basic elements that he identified were not changed. And you can even say that they became much more relevant today. And I will try to explain. When Marx was writing in the mid-19th century, capitalism was only in its beginning. It was valid uh, only in a small part of the world. And now the whole world is capitalist. When Marx is is asking how how does it work? How, How does human society work? He has the basic insight that the first question that a person and a human society ask themselves is how do we provide our essential needs? This is not changed. And the manner that a society provides its needs is essential to understand the culture of this society, the political structures of this society, this insight is not changed. So when people are denying it, they actually trying to tell us, don't ask these questions. Because these questions are frightening, are threatening the power structures that are intact until today. Which means capitalism, which means that very small fraction of society holds the majority of the means of production. And abusing the rest of society 
as workers, as renters, as loners. All this is not changed. It became global. The differentiation between working class and business owners only became much wider since the time of Marx. So I think his thought is not less relevant, but more relevant for us today. Okay, thank you. I'm going to ask the last question. We've talked about socialism and we talked a little bit about where the nationalist interpretation of the Jewish people um, comes into your research. And I'm, I want to ask you the connection between those things in your opinion, in your worldview, that you are able to reconcile those two things that throughout it's been a, a tension there, 150, 160 years, that idea of that socialism and nationalism are incompatible. I wanted to ask you how you reconcile those two ideologies today uh, in your own worldview. I think there is nothing to reconcile. There's no contradiction between the concept of nationalism and socialism. Many times uh, people are uh, wrongly quoting the Communist Manifesto, the last phrase of the Communist Manifesto, as workers of the world unite. But this is not the original phrase. The original phrase is workers of all countries unite. So the basic assumption of Marx and Engels writing the Communist Manifesto is that every worker is first of all, part of his country and also part of his nation. It's a, a very late twist of Marxism that denied nationalism. It's not the mainstream of Marxism. All Marxist movements, all socialist movements in the world, most of them, the vast majority of them, they were movements of a working class of a certain nation. They do talk about internationalism, but internationalism, it's internationalism. It's the relations between nations. I do believe that working classes of separate nations, they have joint purposes, they have joint interests, but they do not have an interest in denying their own nationalism, which is the cultural and even deeper than that the existential base of every person is being part of this or the other national culture which is expressed in our mother tongue i was born into hebrew and this will always be my cultural homeland so if we're becoming international, then what will be our language? What will be our, our culture? There is not such a neutral culture. Socialists of different nations have the interest talking to each other and making peace between their nations because when our nations are fighting each other, it's the working class that suffers economically and also 
physically. So this is part of socialism, internationalism, but not on the account of denying of one's national belonging. I think that there'll be plenty of Marxists that would disagree with you in terms of, and I guess for us, the Jewish people, on a, on a, on a double level, it's like sort of like a double whammy that one, and what's important is, is class, and what's important is workers of the world unite together and different nations and borders and those identities uh, get in the way of that solidarity and want to see that disappearing, want to see that weakening so that there's one less thing in the way. And I guess the double one is that for the Jewish people, even if there was this interpretation that that interpretation that you're saying is that nationalism and socialism are compatible and complement one another and that nationalism is an element within this wider internationalism, there's also the Marxists that would say, well, that's all well and good, but the Jews aren't a nation. Uh, maybe there are other ones are and the other nations are justifiable and there's a need that draw the line when it comes to the Jewish people. This has to do with anti-Semitism within leftist movements. I think there are not many, and not in history and not today, Marxists that denying nations whatsoever. But many of them deny the Jewish nation. So I believe that nationalism is a matter of self-determination. Lenin also believed so. So if quite a big group, several millions of Jewish people who define themselves as a nation, then there is a Jewish nation. It's undeniable. Now with the question of the relation between the nations. And unfortunately, the only experience, the only historical experience that we have in a socialist state is the Soviet Union that became from at the beginning it was uh, I think uh, quite an uh, interesting and to some extent the beautiful experience of multinationalism but it eventually came to be not only a dictatorship but also oppression of many nations by Russian nationalism I don't think that uh, it means that a nation is an eternal phenomenon But I do think there is a lot of sense in the concept that many Jewish socialists historically adopted the concept of neutralism, which means in our current time there is a Jewish problem. There is a problem for the Jews, and the one optional solution for it is nationalism. Another optional solution is assimilation. A very important uh, intellectual of the Bund Vladimir Medem, he said, we should be neutral about this question, which means we should leave it for the free choice of every Jew. We don't want to coerce Jews to assimilate. We don't want to coerce Jews to be part of a Jewish nation. For us today, being part of the Jewish people, which half of it is in Israel, almost half of it, and the other half of it is in the diaspora, I think it's a good thing that we have a choice to be part of the nation, whether in Israel, whether 
in some partial belonging as uh, Jews that define themselves part of the Jewish nation, but not living in the Jewish uh, nation state, or others can assimilate it. I don't want to, to condemn them. I don't want to, I, I want my Jewish comrades to be people that choose to be part of the Jewish people. I want the Jewish people living in Israel will do it out of choice, not out of coercion or out of uh, anti-Semitism. That's why I think Israel has the responsibility to fight anti-Semitism, not only in order to defend Jews, but also in order to defend the free choice of coming to Israel. On that note, Tom, thank you so, so much for joining us. Fascinating conversation that I hope that we can continue. Thank you. Thank you for having me.